It's from 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 15 to 18. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I'm going to pray for Pastor Andrew and the time of hearing the word. Lord, thank you for um, your perfect love that casts out fear. Would you uh, come and be present with Andrew as he shares with us? Thank you for the word you have given him. Lord, as he speaks, would you open his ears to hear your voice, open our ears to hear your voice through his I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning again. Wow. Morning again. People on the balcony, what up? Good to see you. Good morning. Um, we, uh, we're going to be doing this two-week little mini-series um, on, on fear and we're going to kind of hit it from two different angles. Um, and before I get into that, I want to say, I want to say one thing. Um, we, if you're, if you're new here, um, and I, you may have come in a little bit late, as we said in the beginning, we, we called Sanctuary Sanctuary because we want this to be a safe and a sacred place for, for everyone. And, and we know that that's sometimes easier said than done. Uh, and, and, and especially when... You walk into a gathering that you've maybe never been to before, you've only been a handful of times, um, and, and you, everyone around you is standing and singing a bunch of songs that you don't know, to words that you don't really know if you believe or, or trust and aren't sure about. Um, it, it, it can feel not like a, quite a safe place, uh, and it feels sacred for everyone around you, for the person who's like waving their hands like a lunatic or, you know really excited about Jesus slash over-caffeinated next to you. But we want to encourage you, and this is the heart of our team, um, that if you, when you come in and you need to sit, like no one, no one is judging you. Like in fact, a lot of folks in our community would, would much rather, a lot of times our services are either really quiet or, or like this morning. <laughs> And they fluctuate a bit. Sometimes there are folks in our community that just need to sit. You'll sometimes see people like take a knee and, and kneel on the outside of the aisle or, or just kind of put their head down and pray. Sort of like the, the couple that's like slow dancing during the really fast song at a high school dance. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Anybody? Were you that couple? You guys were so in love. that when like Nelly came on, you were still like, and you were kind of doing it just to prove a point, and it was really awkward for everyone else. <laughs> just shattered your whole high school experience. There's something about this space that we really hope um, 
that you, you can engage your spirituality where you are at. Because it's our understanding that, that, that we don't need, we don't need to like conjure up some atmosphere or space. But what we are trying to do, what, what architects tried to do when they, when they built this building, what we do when, when, when we play shimmery chords, when we, we sing and when we get quiet or we get loud, we are emotional and physical incarnate people. And, and, and there's something about space that you make, whether with sound or, or, or physicality, that helps us open up, uh, helps us make sense of that thing that's beyond our five senses. And so as followers of Jesus, we come and we worship. We, we have a fundamental understanding that, like we said at the beginning of the service, that God is good, that, that, that grace is real, that, that God has drawn near that we might draw near to him. Um, but for others of us, there's not an expectation that we're all in the same place on that journey. Um, and, and so in the same way, um, we're going to open up the scriptures and the, verse that, the verses that Sarah just read. We do this um, because we believe something about this text, right? Not just because it's like the world's number one bestseller, right? not just because it's been around for a long time. We actually believe that there's this power and authority in the words and accounts of people who have told, told these stories about God, who have heard the voice of God, who have lived this out in community and how it's been accounted for. The different writers with different agendas and ideas are helping us make sense of the divine that we believe as followers of Jesus is made clear in the person of Jesus. So we open this book with like an excitement and if for you, you're like cautiously waiting like for me to say something like awful or, or something that you just disagree with, that's okay. But know um, that for many of us around, and I think even for you, the skeptic or the doubter or the person who's questioning or unsure, that, that we don't need to be scared of exploring these ideas. That we can be open and expectant and excited and cautious all at the same time. So, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we just read the word and we say, this is the word of the Lord. And we respond with, we respond with, thanks be to God that we can come before the word and we can learn more about who this God is, about who Jesus is, and our part in this grand story. So, with that, I was just texting my mother because I was trying to remember specifically how this went. And I was asking my mom, Mom, do you remember like any really funny stories about me being scared to go outside? Because I remember as a kid, I was like really scared. Um, and we're talking not like three years old, four years old. We're talking like eight or nine like, I, like, when it got buggy, we lived in West Kingston, uh, which is, like, down the southern part of Rhode Island. It's, like, a little bit kind of a country town. We're surrounded by most, there's, like, a few houses next to us, and then it's just kind of farms. And so there's, there's just woods and fields and streams, and it was awesome, awesome. It was, like, I had, like, a sandlot childhood, seriously. It was, like, a bunch of neighbor's kids. We'd all play baseball together, concoct crazy stories, mean to that one kid who, you know, got revenge on all of us later on in life. Classic. Large dog. No, I'm just kidding. 
but I wouldn't want to go outside around like, I, I can't remember the exact age, because of the bugs. I just like hate the mosquitoes. In fact, I think it triggered a dream that became one of my worst like nightmares, which was like if I were ever going to be tortured, I would be like bound, you know, like maybe naked or something with just one mosquito being released into a cell, like one at a time. And it would just come and it would land on me and bite me, take some blood, I don't know, the mosquitoes, and then fly away. Maybe it would take so much blood, it would like bloat and die. Does that happen to mosquitoes? Probably not. And then they would just release another one. Like over the course of like days. They'd feed me. Like I'd be fine and healthy just to like, I couldn't move. I like had some very strange, anyone have like weird deep-seated fears that just kind of well up, the totally irrational Anyway, so I text my mom, like, can you remember any really funny story of me standing outside? She's like, no, but you really hated to go in the back because there were a lot of bugs out there. You'd always say, mom, but there's bugs. I don't want to go play. And then she reminded me just now, literally 10 seconds ago, I wouldn't go down the big slide at Burger King. There was like a Burger King in Wakefield. Anyone from Wakefield, South County area? Do you remember the Burger King that used to be there? There was, a, there was like a full, like, indoor playground. And there was like a big slide. Like, they don't do that stuff anymore because people get like, you know, Everyone sues for everything these days. And we, I remember going down this slide, and, and, and there was this, there was this um, friend of mine. Her name is Rachel. And she would just love, like, fearless. And she would just go and go down the slide multiple times, multiple times. She was like, kind of really nice about it. Like, she didn't, like, make me feel real bad. But every time I would go up, like, and I would kind of chase her. And, like, oh, yeah, I can do it. Rachel can do it. And she was a little bit younger than me. You know, and there's always still, as much as we don't want to pretend, there's like that boy-girl dynamic that like your parents don't mean to push into you, but they kind of do. Of like, well, you should be able to do it, son. You're a boy. <laughs> That's stupid. Like, I, like I watched even my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, Harper. She's like, does stuff I would never have done even now. And, uh, and so I would try to chase her up the slide. I remember this memory now of like going up and I would get to the top and I would watch Rachel go down and I would get there and be like, no. And then I would freeze I know that moment where you freeze and then your parents have to go up to actually get you to bring you back down. Anyone have that awful moment happen? Like you can't go down the slide and you also can, for some reason, can't will yourself to go back down the stairs. Yeah, anyway. For all the funny things that we can talk about when it comes to fear, there's some like really big systemic things that I think, and, and, and things that actually kind of work their way into our subconscious that I think are really important to name before we dive into this text and, and one other this morning. And what I want to talk about for a moment is, is, is idolatry. And, and the modern secular response, 21st century, urban, you know, well-dialed-in people, when we think of idolatry, we tend to have a hard time grasping that this could still actually be an issue. But we are complicated people, and I'd humbly submit, along with a, a whole slew of, of writers and thinkers, Actually, we're some of the most idolatrous people ever. Our desires and longings will always find their place in worship, even if you are not religious. Every human being has something or someone that they put their trust in, to some degree. And we usually don't say we put our trust in it, but whether it's fashion, career, children, performance, we kind of have this myth of freedom, but we tend to default to placing ourselves underneath something else. I would argue as many have, that we are the most idolatrous people ever. This is not just an ancient issue. We have the function of idols, but because we've removed religious aspects to explain it, 
it makes it actually harder to see. We use words like passion. We use words like drive. We use words like calling. William Stringfellow says this, uh, quotes on the screen, idolatry is pervasive in every time and culture. No less now than yesterday, no less in Washington than in Gomorrah. Indeed, it might be argued that contemporary Western humanity is, is more enslaved to idols than our less civilized counterparts. Precisely because we are presumably less ignorant about the world in which we live. And because our favorite idols are the familiar realities of daily life. Religion, work, money, status, sex, patriotism. And let's be honest, no one is going to idolize something of lame value. We put things up on pedestals, even very good things. We place them to a place that they shouldn't be. Tim Keller says this famously, an idol is anything more important to you than God. This would be a Christian understanding of idolatry. Therefore, you can turn even very good things into idols. You can turn a good thing like family, success, acceptance, money, your plans, etc., into a God thing, into something you worship and place at the center of your life. See, idols have a controlling position in your heart. Romantic relationships, beauty, brains, success, even in ministry, it's where our passions and drives kind of find their home. Now, I know a lot of us know this. Especially followers of Jesus, we talk a lot about idolatry, uh, especially when it comes to like laying down our sin, our brokenness. Uh, why do we still do this? And I want to just submit a few ideas to you, because I think it's important that we unpack kind of where this base, I don't know, this kind of like sub-base note that's sort of underneath everything that's hard to pick up, which is, I think, fear. One, I think many of us operate out of wounds which produce Fear. We numb the pain. We say things like, I've been through stuff. And it becomes the defining characteristic of some of our lives. They become the controlling center of our lives because I've been through stuff. This isn't to minimize the stuff you've been through. This is to say that sometimes these things become a controlling feature. I was reading a story recently of a a woman who was head of a nonprofit, really well-known, you'd probably know her if I mentioned her name, some of you. She had this absolutely spectacular fall from grace. When asked why, what happened? So when I was a little girl, she said, my dad told me I was fat and ugly and no one would ever love me. College, she realized she was quite a beautiful woman, that men would respond to her, and that this produced actually a power. When things got stressful, she would use it to medicate. And there's this haunting phrase that comes up as she's telling the story of her conversation with her pastor. And it says this, I guess my dad was the loudest voice. He would have, I mean, you'd love this woman. If you heard her speak, this is the kind of person you just give money to in a second. But this wound controlled her. Some of you have things that need to be healed. When the pressure rises up, your wound controls you. And this gives birth to fear and it becomes your idol. For some of us, it's lies. We mask the truth. We find ways, like anyone here today that just like has this reaction in response to what other people think of you. We know this, right? Unfulfilled longings. We're told that we will wildly succeed. A lot of our our community here is full of millennials. Give it up. 
Yeah, we have some serious, I mean, everybody's got their issues, but we got some serious ones around this whole, like, unfulfilled longing thing. Kids, you know, we act like school kids. Like, I only got 14 likes on my Instagram. You know, it's our worth as bait. We sit there and check and refresh repeatedly. Our worth ends up being based really subtly, none of us would ever admit it, on how far we stand out from others. Our marriage looks really good when it's put out there. We project. All right, we know this in general. This is a kind of a human problem. This is why, you know, a 16-year-old girl will date a loser because their worth gets wrapped up in how they're perceived. They're believed. These lies that the world has told us, we compare, we have these wounds, and these things produce fear. And ultimately, I think the, the thing I want to kind of land on is this fear of the future. We have a fear, and then we want to manage the outcomes of our life. In fact, I think all those things I just mentioned lead to this. We want to manage the outcome of our life. Deep in our hearts, there's so much uncertainty. Even culturally, we used to go to school, you'd work, get married, right? This was like the false illusion of the American dream. You have kids, you work in the same company for a long time, they honor you and you retire, right? There was this sense, even though it was, it was a lie, it was such a loud lie that it kind of eased some of our existential angst. You read about kind of culturally 40, even 30 years ago, the sense of like, there's, a, there's, a, there's something we can lock into, there's some safety and security. That's just not there anymore. We have fears and we think God's, when we think God is not meeting our needs, we cave and we take the reins. All of these things produce fear. They control us. They produce these primal anxieties. They produce a whole series of what ifs. And so we jockey for position we have trouble wishing the best for other people. We become horribly negative. We sing of the love of God, and we are like just such down people when it comes when we like actually have conversations. We fear. <laughs> we fear a lot. Cool. We're on the same page. Fear, big deal. Interestingly enough, more than any other thing in Scripture. More than any other command, we are commanded to fear not. Do not be afraid. There are 366 commands. It's like one for every day of the year, even a leap year. To not be afraid. My favorite one is after the resurrection. There's the command, don't be afraid. Because the God who has made the world is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. We've been talking a lot about this through Advent, even last Sunday, our Christmas Sunday. The God who rose from the dead now calls us to follow him, that believing in the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a matter of believing certain things about a rabbi who rose from the dead, as far-fetched as that may sound for some of us, or that he was crucified. These truths are vital and non-negotiable, but they point beyond themselves to the God who's responsible for them. To believe in that God who rose from the dead means believing that it is going to be all right. This is the first fruits, we're told. It's part of the story that, that we can actually put our trust that everything is going to be all right. That that belief is incompatible with fear. Billy Graham, he said, I've read the last page of the Bible and it's going to turn out all right. Hebrews 6.19, which Sarah preached on back during Advent, we have this hope which is an anchor for our soul. So even central to what it is to be a Christian. If you walk through these doors and you know nothing about the way of Jesus, you know about that whole resurrection, Easter, third day thing. 
right? That in and of itself, as we talked often about, we talk about every Easter, we, if we as followers of Jesus have no fear in death, let's back up all the natural ramifications and how on earth could we fear anything? And yet we do. We struggle and we wrestle with this. So I want to lead us to this text. And this text does not by any means cover the grand scope of all the texts in Scripture about not fearing. In fact, this text gets read in very interesting ways sometimes, and I would just humbly submit that the way I'm, I'm going to talk to you about this is right. <laughs> I was going to say something like longer and more. I just, this is the right way to read this text. <laughs> First John 4, if you have your Bibles. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The context, John has just stressed that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's going to make everything right, live the perfect life, showed us what life looks like, showed us what it looks like when God's will is reigning on earth. Shows us what it means to be fully human. Dies on the cross, all the implications, like blood on the doorposts of the universe, opens wide the gates of forgiveness and reconciliation, the beautiful, most beautiful act of love that we celebrate at communion. He rises again. This is the Messiah, the one who's going to put everything back together. He's just stressed this, that this is what Christianity is all about. And then he transitions to, if you trust that, if you believe that, this is what will happen. So stay with me for a moment as we unpack this text. I want to read a quote here from N.T. Wright. The Christian faith grows directly out of and must directly express the belief that Jesus, the Messiah, the one true God, has revealed himself to be love incarnate. And those who hold this faith and embrace it as the means of their own hope and life must themselves reveal the self-same fact before the watching world. Love incarnate must be the badge that the Christian community wears, the sign not only of who they are, but of who their God is. So, verse 11, he's gonna let that hang over us. If that's how God loved us, we ought to love one another in the same way. This is, if anything, an even stronger statement than many might imagine. So you could hear it simply as saying, look, this is the example. We should copy it. That's true, but this next verse gives us so much more depth. Nobody has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is completed in us. We don't really know who God is until we look at Jesus. People don't really know who God is until they see it revealed in the life of Christians. I'm simplifying this, but this is what John is saying. This is what John is saying. You want to know what God is like? 
the Christians would say, this is what God is like, fully, no extra addendums. This is what God's like. And to see this, experience it, know it, see its love completed is to see it lived out in his people. This isn't about effort. I'm sorry, this isn't about earning God's love. But it is very much about if, if you're trusting God more, this will happen. If this isn't happening, you probably don't actually trust God. You don't actually trust his grace. Because if you did, this would happen. Does this make sense? Because I'm going to start preaching a little more, and then some of you really high Protestants are going to start to think he's preaching like works righteousness. I'm not preaching that. But it is incredibly important that we read what John is actually saying and not try to read something else into it. Keep going. Then he talks about there's this boldness and confidence that we shall have on the day of judgment. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us a spirit. We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. In, judgment. in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We have a boldness and confidence because God revealed himself in the world by turning his love into flesh and blood. When we do the same, we see, we, we, we realize that we are completing God's love. Does this make sense? When we do the same, God made himself known to us. What Rick talked about last week, if you were here, this is what God does. He moves into the neighborhood. He steps into the brokenness of the world. He steps into the complexity, and he shows us what love looks like. He stepped into the broken systems of Rome in the same way God steps into the broken systems of the world around us. He incarnates. And we are called to do the same. And when we do this, we are completing God's love is what John is saying. What will be operating through us will be the true love of God. When that happens, there's no need to fear any longer. Because love has been made complete in this way. And that leaves no room for fear. Once you learn to give yourself to others as God gave himself to us, there is nothing to be afraid of anymore when we love each other with a perfect love which is a love that comes from god that right that we are responding to when we love each other like this it casts out all fear this is the way to boldness the way to confidence the way to fearlessness is to walk love not just talk about it I want to pause for a moment, and this is really for like insiders. That quote, Stanley Harawas, N.T. Wright, Tim Keller, John Piper. That means nothing to a lot of you, but to the rest of you, those four people all essentially said that exact same thing about this text. I mentioned that there's agreement across the theological spectrum that what's being said here is that there is a connection between us recognizing the love of God 
And if we truly are trusting that, it will begin to be made complete in us. And and that happens as we incarnate the love of God. When we love each other with perfect love, it casts out fear. It is the way to boldness and confidence and fearlessness. It's to walk love, not just talk about it, which we as followers of Jesus know we are often guilty of. Love is perfected when we begin trusting God's abounding love for us. John is saying we know we are trusting in that love when our love moves to action. When our lives are not devoted in love to each other and to God, but instead are devoted to providing security and comfort, we slowly and subtly fall into fear. When our lives are not devoted in love to each other and to God, but devoted or, or twisted and focused in on our wounds, on our need to compare, on our fear of the future, on our capacity and need to control, we slowly and subtly fall into fear. And we try to say that we are followers of Jesus and devote, devote our loves to the eternal good of others. There is a deep contradiction in us that gnaws at our soul and produces fear. We know Those of us who've been walking with Jesus, we come and we sing these songs and we hear these messages and we say, yes, and I want that. And then when we go back and our lives look so similar to everyone else, we know that that produces this this sense of need to gnaw, or the sense of need to numb. And I think it gnaws at our souls and produces fear. We love because he first loved us. It's that reality nurturing our souls. It's producing health and peace and confidence and fearlessness. So with that said, if there's this gnawing at our soul when there's a disconnect, when there's a not trusting God's perfect love, his love which is perfected and made perfect when we live this out and incarnate this, which then begins to remove fear. Why? Because we are so for the other that all of the other things take a back seat. We are so for the things of God and for the love of God that everything else takes a back seat. I need to scream this over my own life desperately because I allow things that are not of the true and good and beautiful of the Lord Jesus Christ to take precedent. I know when I am most radically embodying the love that has been given to me, my fear goes away. I've had moments where myself and friends have stepped into certain danger and certain fear, mostly metaphorically, but in a few cases, literally. And it's amazing how all of a sudden our orientation shifts to that which truly matters. So I want to close in a different place, a different um, book of John. Turn a few pages to the right, to 3 John 1. I want to give a few principles. So I want to shift from like teaching mode, which that kind of was, just walking through this text, to give us a setup. I, I, want, to, I want to give you a few things that I think might be helpful to take home, and I want, to, I want to preach at you a little bit. You okay with that? You with me? If you're not, you're going to be. How do we keep our soul, our heart right then so this gnawing doesn't happen? So we're not... We're not stepping into this hypocrisy, that we're actually trusting the God who has loved us, allowing his perfect love to transform us, to spill out into our love for one another, which vanquishes fear because Jesus is made real in our midst. 
Third John, verse 1, it's a long book. The elder of the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So this is John writing to uh, an, another fellow who's doing an incredible job planting churches. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy then to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. He's saying you're doing a great job. Everything in your heart and your soul is so right. It's well with you. And look at all the stuff that is going well. These beautiful things. We're not going to get into all the details here. But keep reading here in verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. There, there's this issue with this one person talking wicked nonsense against them and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. When what is in here is growing in awareness of the God that loves them, has forgiven them, has set them free from death, all that Christianity 101 stuff, that is where all of the beauty and truth and power is. It means our souls are well, our hearts are healthy. What will happen, as we see here, is welcoming of the outsider, a care and compassion for those around us, a deep love, a perfected love that's showing the way of Jesus. And as we've read, this is one thing that vanquishes our fear. A few things. When a Christian soul is healthy, we change the environment around us. The environment does not change us. Are there places and situations where you have acclimated to brokenness? If your soul is well, you will not acclimate to dysfunction. The dysfunction around us and the <laughs> that so often produces these, these primal and pretty obvious fears. When we are healthy, when we are grounded in the love of God, when that becomes the first thing we do when we get up during the day, when we get up early to seek God, when we establish like a baseline for discipleship, and we stop and we go, I, I, I'm, I, I want to be aware of the God who loves me. When we begin there, we will actually begin to change the environment around us the way in which the world wants to acclimate us to certain things. We won't be acclimated to dysfunction because we will be grounded 
and what is most true. Healthy hearts, healthy souls give the benefit of the doubt to God. I think unhealthy hearts and souls are waiting to get wounded. They're waiting to get wounded. I think for some of us, as soon as something doesn't kind of feel right because we haven't spent any regular time going before God and trusting God and allowing this to become real in us, we don't give God the benefit of the doubt. I worry that some of us have made like, it's okay to doubt, it's okay to have questions. We've made that actually so okay that we've actually stopped trusting and giving God the benefit of the doubt. A healthy heart and a healthy soul that doesn't fear, who allows the perfect love of God to manifest in them and drive out all fear because we are so for the other. That happens in part when we actually give God the benefit of the doubt. When our circumstances and our emotions, which are so fickle, are not determining what's going on. Uh, A pastor said this recently, if they plugged in an aux cable into your heart, like what's going to come out? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, God is good. This is hard. But I'm remembering daily the good things of Jesus. Yeah, this is hard, but I know the way of love. Well, I read this really difficult thing that, that caused this like, this like sense of doubt, you know, and it's causing me to like forget everything that actually tangibly, physically happened in my life. Well, no, no, no. what gets plugged in? What, what comes out when we plug in to your heart? Is there health there? It was so well, okay, it's the soul that, that, that all of this beauty and overflow What would your soul right now be saying if you could listen to it? Like, seriously, think about it. Like, what's in there? What comes out naturally at the dinner table? What comes out naturally with your spouse? What's in there? This stuff is so linked with our fear. Lastly, healthy hearts, healthy souls get help when they're hurting. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This takes time to set in. We can trust that Jesus make our hearts right. We can trust this love, this perfect love. We can trust who God is. We don't fall prey to this illusion of control. We don't. On our hearts, 
are well. Is it? Is it well with your soul? First John 4 gives us the, the sign. We, we, can, we can know. Are we for others? Are we completing Christ's perfect love in others? Are we, are we radical lovers? Is it said about us that, oh, those people, that's Jesus, look at them. It's not a call to be perfect all the time. It's a call to, is our love like being manifest? You can know if it's well with your soul. If that's not real or if that's not happening or you're not thinking about that all the time, you're not asking, God, I need to understand more of this. I've got this really tough situation. I've got this really easy one. If love is not reigning and beginning to win more and more in your heart, your soul is not well. And so are we willing to go to the source when that's the case for the burned out evangelical in the room? Stop. Lay down your cynicism and pick up the childlike like grace and peace of God. His yoke is easing, his burden is light and begin to practice the way of Jesus all over again. For the person in the room who who's not sure what to think about any of this, I would encourage you to trust that at the center of the universe is a personality, a God, a characteristic, not a, not a characteristic, not a vague spirituality, a person at the center of everything who is, says no guilt, no shame is on you. You are loved right where you're at. You are forgiven and set free. If you begin to trust that, the life of the ages will begin to take hold. We are not in control. We are not in control. And the sooner we realize the God who is, and the God who has said just to focus on today, consider the birds, be present here in this moment, sooner we, we, we are present in this moment, sitting in the perfect, abiding, it says in 1 John, in the perfect love, Cast out all fear. When that happens, fear, fear is vanquished. Vanquished, such a good word. Vanquished. Walt Disney World, remember the runaway train? The gold, the, it's like the mountain gold train. I don't remember, it was like you were a, you were looking for gold in the caves. I don't remember. It was like the runaway train ride. That's all I remember. I remember being a little kid holding on to this, feeling like as the thing goes, it's like a little roller coaster and starts to take off. And I remember thinking in my head and then turning to my dad after I got off the ride, oh my gosh, if I let go of this bar, I'm going to die. How could they let a little kid die? How are they like allowed, like they're putting the impetus on me? To save my life, if I let go of this bar, I'm going to die. To this day, I have massive fear of roller coasters. I cannot go on. I mean, I, I can't do it. I went to Six Flags a couple years ago and tried to, like, fight it out at the top of the, the, the big one there at Six Flags. I forgot Spider-Man or Superman or I remember what it is. I'm at the top there going, like, I know this is safe. I know this is built by architects. I know no one has died on, an, on a roller coaster ride in at least a long time. I know I'm going to be okay. There's like a little thing. Look, there's a little kid sitting next to me, and they're really excited. I know this is okay. The whole time, and then we get to that part where they take the picture, I'm like, 
Everyone's like, <laughs> I think this is a good picture of life. <laughs> we believe we're in control. We believe that like holding onto the bar is actually going to change something. That roller coaster is going down. It's not going to be because I'm not going to save myself. The end of the day, we're still holding on tight to the bar as if that's going to change anything. See, every day we have to entrust ourselves to God. Every day we have to remind ourselves of who we are, children of God. We have to give over our what if this happens and what if that happens and what if I don't get this and what if this doesn't come through and what if these things don't pan out the way I thought. It doesn't matter. Our call as followers of Jesus is to simply receive and give the perfect love of Christ. And when that becomes the center, when that becomes the first thing above everything else, All the other things that are good won't be idols anymore. They'll find their proper place. Amen? Instead of the birds, your father takes care of them. When you are living in the moment, he is right here with you. Fear and worry is the fruit of our efforts. And peace and joy is the fruit of the spirit. Everything you want in life Everything, every fulfilled longing is on the other side of fear. I want to do a little exercise with us as we close. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. As clunky as this message was this morning, I was so passionate and excited to give this to you. Because this has become so real to me. I stand here testifying before you that though there are places I have a long way to go, I'm not going to lie. God has done an amazing thing in my life over the last four or five years where fear does not win very often anymore because God is good. Because fear does not have to be controlling. Because fear in the subtle, obvious things can be vanquished. Will you let me speak these scriptures over you? And if as I'm reading them, you're like, I need some of that. I need to trust that. With every like eyes closed, every set of eyes closed, with heads bowed, will you just throw your hand up? Like throw your hand up is just like a physical act of saying, yes, God, I need to trust that. Again, pray with me. Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. How many of you need to commit to that again? Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer, petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you are struggling with anxiety And you need to heed, heed the command to put your trust in him. John 14, peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. This is not circumstantial peace. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have issues. This world is hard. People make choices. We all have our share of the world's brokenness. Our biology is jacked up. Our worlds are jacked up. Our governments are jacked up. Our race relations are jacked up. There's so much that is hurting. 
that I give a peace that allows you to charge into all of that. And he says, do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Peace is what I leave with you, not as the world does. My peace. How many of you need that sort of peace today? 2 Timothy 1. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. How many of you need to, to trust that that's what God gives? You haven't experienced it. You haven't felt it. This feels far-fetched and mystical, but if that were true, if God doesn't give a spirit of fear, if entrusting what God has done for me would allow that to disperse, I need to trust that. Will you raise your hand? First Peter 5, humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand so that he will lift you up in his own good time. Leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. How many of you need to humble yourself and leave your worries with him? Stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to outsmart God. Lay it down and simply be open. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? How many need a confidence all over again? There's nothing to fear. Death, the fear of death has been taken from us. Lastly, Psalm 34, 4. I prayed to the Lord. He answered me. Freed me from all of my fears. Are there specific things that you're scared of? Maybe scared of sounds too like simple or too easy. Like that stuff you know controls you, those wounds, that voice, that fear of the future, the fear that the thing that we want won't happen. We just need to, we just need to trust in God's perfect love. His perfect love dries out our fear when we begin to trust that that's actually all we need. We can just say we all, it's all we need, and we walk away. But we know it's becoming true. We know we're trusting that when we begin to incarnate that love with those around us. Do not be afraid. We cannot be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. For those of you who've never truly put your trust in Jesus, who've never said yes, yes, I, I, there's something happening in my heart that rings true, but it's true about the whole world. That this Jesus came, died for me, 
God of the universe is a God of not abstract but very concrete love and forgiveness that I've been reconciled to God that I've been set free from my guilt and shame that I can walk in freedom I want to pray for you and will you still with eyes closed and head bowed will you just throw your hands up one last time if you want to say yes to Jesus this morning Lord, I pray I thank you I thank you God that you overcome it all. The things we learn in Sunday school, those simple basic things are not only still true, they're, they're the things that make sense of everything. And so for those who, who are saying yes to Jesus for the first time, will you pray this with me? Jesus, I, I trust that you have so loved the world and thus so loved me. You've given your son. And because of what you have done, I can inherit the life of the ages. I acknowledge I am broken. And that is not my original condition. I am a sinner in need of your grace. I trust, Lord, that you have set and are setting me free. That you alone drive out our fear. May your love be made complete in me. In your name we pray, amen.